Hey guys, and welcome to tonight's episode of Sasquatch Odyssey. Thank you guys so much for being here with us tonight. We have an amazing guest lined up for you. We're going to be talking to the legendary Ron Moorhead. Ron is best known for his Sierra sounds, but he's also a renowned researcher, author, producer, and more importantly, he's an experiencer. He's written several books. He's got all kinds of audio. If you're interested in the books and the audio, please visit ronmoorhead.com for more information about Ron and his books and audio. As always, before we get started, I want to invite you, if you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, please send me an email. You can get me at brian at sasquatchodyssey.net. I know you guys are raring to get to it. Ron is lined up and ready to go. I'm ready to jump into the interview tonight. So without further ado, let's just get right into it. I want to welcome tonight's special guest to the show, Ron Moorhead. Welcome to the show, Ron. Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Absolutely. The pleasure's mine. I I really appreciate you coming on the show, and I'm really excited to to hear the story surrounding the Sierra Sounds and how they came about and, and just that whole sort of part of your life and, and this journey that you've been on for, for the many decades after that. So I know a lot of people in the audience have probably heard the story, but if you would, would you just sort of walk us into the area and the camp and, and how all of that came about? Sure. Yeah, it began for me in 1971. I was uh, friends with a group of hunters. I wasn't a hunter at the time, but I was friends with them. They'd gone up to the camp. Uh, two of the brothers had been up there, Johnson brothers, earlier that year, and they experienced this phenomenon. They thought it was, was had a big foot anyway, in the mud. And uh, they came out and told the other other hunters the story, and they all went back up. And uh, they one of the guys thought it had to be a bear or something else, so nothing could do this. And he was very religious, very, uh, well, anyway. He shot out the next morning, and as soon as daybreak came, I left a note for him. And he didn't, he hadn't been back. But uh, what happened was he got down there and told the women that what the Johnson brothers said is true. There's some kind of a monster up there. Something's going on. And, and uh, so the guys didn't come out the next day. And then the wives were really worried because at that time, uh, nobody knew what we were dealing with or what they were dealing with. They thought it just, they didn't know. But stories, all kinds of stories about what these things are good or bad, we don't know, and they didn't know. So anyway, um, they asked me if I would go back with him. He said he'd go back if I'd go with him. So I went back with him, and that was 1971, and I saw the big track and heard some of the recordings, because they went back with the recorders, and, uh, oh, wow, this is something. They were okay. Uh, the guys hadn't got eaten or carried away in their sleeping bag or anything like that. But anyway, uh, that's how I got involved in the group, and that was 1971. It was 1972 when winter came, and uh, let me back up just a little bit. The camp is uh, about eight miles into the wilderness from where you park, your truck or wherever you take coin. And uh, it's 8,400 feet in elevation, the high Sierra Mountains of California. So it's quite remote, quite imposing area to get to, and it's uh, it's quite a journey. So he about killed me getting me in there that day. Fortunately, one of the guys let me ride one of the horses out. That's how I got started. But the winter of 1972, he wrote a, a letter, Warren Johnson did, to Ivan Sanderson, he's a cryptozoologist, passed now, but he's from back east. And he thought it was probably just somebody pulling his leg. And uh, it's pretty phenomenal, the story, what we heard, heard then. And uh, 
he thinking it was a hoax sent it to a guy named Peter Byrne out here on the West Coast in Oregon. Peter thinking the same thing, uh, somebody pulled somebody's leg here, but he tried to get a hold of a guy named Al Berry, who he knew as a reporter down in uh, Northern California to see if he wanted to come talk to us. So he did, and Al came and talked to us, and uh, he uh, questioned us all independently, and uh, he heard sounds, and he... Uh, anyway, we, long story short, we invited him to go into camp, and uh, he went in 1972 and looking for a hoax, which we did not know any of this. <laughs> We want to go in, so uh, he was looking for the hoax, and I couldn't find who could be pulling that off, leaving nothing but their big prints and nothing. There's a shelter up there that they that, that put up. These guys, Johnson Brothers, have been up there since 1958, so we don't know, and nobody knows. Maybe these things have been around for a long time, just maybe observing them, something like that. Decided they would make their presence known uh, that night in 1971, summer, and. Uh, so anyway, uh, I got involved then, and I became part of the group, and that winter I became a hunter. Uh, so that was 1972, now we're into it. Al Berry went up, and uh, he experienced this stuff, and he wrote a book uh, called Bigfoot, co-authored it with Anne Slate. And the first three chapters of that book is dedicated to our story. He could not figure out how anybody could be doing this up there, way out there in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, which we found out quite a bit since from, from the favorite coins that we had, which we had been studied at the University of Wyoming and uh, crypto English from the Navy and uh, Cryptozoology School has uh, checked into them and they've uh, found that there's no no uh, maliciousness done. There was no speeding up or slowed down. There was no uh, no 60 cycle hum, which we showed pre recording. Anyway, the science has been done. Professor Crow at the University of Wyoming did a year on study on them. And he gave his presentation on these sounds in 1978, I think it was, something now that's what we see. Uh, on Trial Symposium that was put together there by the college. So I went to that, and they had another one in 1990, a 20-year. I went to that one, too. Uh, anyway, uh, this has all been written down in a book, Man Like Monsters on Trial, the name of the book Dr. Crohn's Record is in. Uh, however, even though he's a professor, he's written over 100 professional papers, and uh, he's just a credible, credible person to decide or to find out if there's any uh, wrongdoings in the tapes. There were original tapes. Albert gave them to him to study, and he found no, no manipulation in them at all. But he also saw in his graph, he's seen where the sound frequency is above and below and inside the actual human range which uh, we're going to find out later on, but humans cannot make these sounds. And uh, you can't manipulate the sounds. Uh, so it's a challenge. Anybody thinks they can. Uh, you hear two creatures talking together, uh, talking to each other, and we don't know. At the time, we didn't know if, if they were uh, talking about who's going to put salt and pepper on us or if they're going to argue over the food that was left out for them out of the shelter. It's like a log shelter around a group of trees. They did fall up there with tables, and that's, that was our shelter. All heavily armed we were. Again, you don't know what you're dealing with. They're still coming around. We never shot at them. Never wanted to, really. And they never crashed through the shelter at us. But I went up there as often as I could in 71, and also in 72, and all the way through. This went on until 1976. We started having encounters, and recorded a lot of all of us were recording. And, uh, 
even though you got a, a Navy cryptolinguist now who's in 2008, he got a hold of the sounds and uh, thought he heard language in them. Well, we knew they were talking to each other at some time of communication, but it's actually a, a language by the human definition of language. That makes it pretty unique. They're really rapid chatter, as you'll hear in a few minutes when we play one. And uh, they have a morphine stream of words, which means only humans have that, according to Dr. Lieberman at Brown University. They, uh, only humans have the mech vocal mechanism that, uh, that allows us to have sapient language like we have right now, like I'm talking to you. Other animals, no other animal on the places planet is supposed to have that. These things have that, and they're not human. So we get those things right off the bat. That was 72, um, and uh, on and through. Uh, anyway, that goes on and on and on. Actually, you could play that rapid-fire sound now if people want to hear that, and uh, you'll hear some of the sounds we record. This is 1972. Yeah, I'll play that Very right deeper. now for the audience. That's fascinating. Well, those are pretty aggressive, and that's the kind of songs we're getting in 71 and 72. And again, you don't know what you're dealing with. You don't know what's fixing to happen or if anything. But Scott Nelson, who I've uh, become to know pretty well in 2008, is a crypto-linguist who, who did the uh, transcribing of the language. Uh, not the translation, but the transcribing. He's a two-time graduate of the Defense Language Institute of Foreign Language in uh, Monterey, California. So he's more than qualified. I got a little betting on him because I've had a lot of people tell me, well, I know what they were saying. Well, how do you know? How do I know? <laughs> you got to have a professional, like Dr. Curlin was, to study the tapes. You have to have a professional like Scott Nelson to find out what's going on with him. And he was trained to find out deceptive things in languages. He's a Russian, and you know, Persian, Russian, Spanish. Several languages, and he teaches. He was teaching those after he retired out of the military. By the way, he retired out of the military as a crypto linguist, so he's no slouch. This guy, uh, he's a pretty smart guy. So he says unequivocally, uh, this is a language by the human definition, which means again, morphing string of words, which make a sapient sentence. That to me puts him in another category. They're either part human or hybrid, or something gave him that attribute for for speaking. Uh, Notice that was very rapid. Uh, this was going on quite regularly with us up there, and we couldn't get anybody to believe it. 
but we didn't try really <laughs> too much. Told our family and friends. Some of those didn't have a hard time with Our cousin went to her deathbed thinking it was couldn't be. This can't be. Things like that would have been discovered if they were they were around because they got to be big. They were huge uh, beings. Jack, we found them in the mud. The ones that Johnson found was 19 inches. We found that it's about the average size we find around camp, except we did find in the snow up there, because up in springtime, there's still snow. And uh, we found a little nine-inch track alongside an 18-inch track. So I've been kind of researching this ever since. I was a board member in a church along with my friend Bill Gow, and we we had to get, we thought, we got to figure out what's going on. So the first thing I started doing is looking at the history of giants, and I started studying that, and uh, I got into Greek mythology because of the uh, giants that were back in the old days. And So I, I've kind of been in this now. I've been uh, traveled the world. I've been into Nepal, Siberia, uh, both at the Moscow Museum in Moscow, and been into Peru and, uh, a couple of times, and uh, visiting the enigmas associated with these elongated skulls down there. I went down there specifically to see if perhaps the elongated skulls had a thumb trail coming up north because so many people report sagittal crests, that's a you know, pinnacle type head, on all these big Bigfoot beings. So uh, yes, there is a trail. Uh, find the Incas were warring with the, uh, the Mayans and the Aztec in Central America, and you find uh, stories of them warring with giants in the north, which leads you right up to the Lovelock Caves in Nevada. Lovelock, Nevada, I've been there four times uh, researching that area. And uh, that also kind of holds over right from there, pulled directly west into the Sierra Nevada Mountains. That's where the minaret skulls were found, the minaret skull by Dr. Denton. And he turned over UCLA, which, strangely enough, they've lost it, <laughs> quote-unquote lost. <laughs> and he also got the uh, Martin Dell mummies, which were found in Yosemite in 18, no, 1985, I think it was. Those were sold to Ripley, please or not, but that's where the trail stops. You can't find anything about that. There was a mummy, a seven foot uh, tall, bones, and they thought its male counterpart, because it was a female, would have been uh, eight foot tall. And you got the Awanachi, uh, Native Americans there in the Yosemite area, and they, uh, they were being uh, harassed by uh, cannibalistic giants. And that's what the uh, Lovelock Cave uh, story was, too, is a cannibalistic giant, red-haired giants. BLM denies it. Uh, the museums there deny it. Any artifacts, uh, you can't see it because they can't display it because of the Repatri Repatriation Act, I guess they call it. But there are pictures of them, and uh, uh, the Paiutes there firmly believe that that's a true story. Um, Sarah Winnemucker wrote a book about it. In fact, she's got a dress that's supposed to got some of the uh, red-haired giant hair on it, but it was buried with her, I guess, somewhere else. Anyway, we can go on and on and on, or you can interrupt me with a question anytime you want to. <laughs> uh, the I, importance of language. <laughs> I, I'm definitely, I'm fascinated by the whole thing. So I, I kind of want to go back to the campsite. So the Johnson brothers right. were going up there, you said, since the late 50s. Were they having these encounters regularly? Is that why they decided to take a recorder up there and try to document this stuff? No, they, they've had a, they had the encounters one time up there in 71, and they don't know if it, maybe some of the things they put off to a bear or something else wasn't one of these things. I they had incidents happened before, but they didn't think about Nobody was thinking about Bigfoot. None of us were. Uh, 
we didn't have a history of Bigfoot. We weren't hunting for them, we weren't looking for them. We were in a remote place where these things were, uh, the family of them up there. And uh, anyway, uh, it went on from there. They, they came out with the story. When the guys did go back, they took the recorders. And uh, sure enough, the things came back in, and they started recording some of these sounds. When Al Berry went in, he went in specifically uh, trying to figure out what was going on. That was 1972. So made a lot of trips up there, back and forth. Get in good shape when it's that far in. <laughs> a lot of times we'd pack things into the horses and mules so we wouldn't have to backpack so much and leave it up there. We took some barrels up there one time and cabled, excuse me, cabled them to a tree, and uh, that's what we left our food in. And there were rain barrels, so we tried to keep the bears out of The bears could make a mess. There's a lot of bears up there, but and they won't make a mess out of your camp. And our horses and mules, when bears were around, they'd trot and just stop. And these things were around making a noise, they just like they're frozen with their ears. So everybody wants to know what your horse do when these things were around. Well, they just were frozen. They didn't do nothing except look towards the sounds with their ears shot up. And uh, that's kind of, there's a telltale sign of where these, where one might be because there's more than one of them. And I think they're very smart. We underestimated uh, what we were dealing with at the time. We thought there were just some kind of a rogue gorilla or something out there that hadn't been documented. Didn't know, didn't realize uh, their intuitive level, their intelligence level. Uh, people want to uh, think they're just an ape in the woods, but they're a lot more than that. And uh, I can attest to that because I've been around them a lot, a lot more than most people. And you know, these researchers that just, uh, well, they, they're they still looking. They're still setting up trail cams, all that stuff. These things are smart. Like we set up trail cams, we set up camera traps. We did all kinds of no trail cams in those days, but. Since then, truck have been put up. Um, you never catch anything. I think they can sense the energy in uh, batteries and all this stuff. But then they busted three of our cameras that we had rigged up at different times up there with a little black thread on six feet high, so fear or something else wouldn't trick it. But uh, never got a picture. And that's why people wonder if all this stuff happened to you, you should have got a picture. Well, no, it's not that easy. And anybody researching out there, thinking it's easy, go out and get a picture one. <laughs> it's not that easy. You just don't don't happen. Now, you got Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin got that one in 67 on Bluff Creek. But uh, they just lucked up on it. They walking up the creek. Their horses muffled the sound, evidently. And uh, they, uh, the four-foot hooves of the horse, and they ran across that thing and they got that picture. A lot of the people that are listening now have probably seen the picture of the movie. And it's pretty much credit. It's been studied second only to the Patterson, um, excuse me, it's been studied second only to the Kennedy assassination, I understand. And uh, it's uh, incredible. I know Bob Gurman too. I, I know, I, of course, Rogers passed away a long time ago, but I see Bob quite a bit. Not quite a bit, but he works on the year probably. I guess it's a lot. He's getting pretty old, though. He's in his 80s. But we all are. I was 29 when it started happening to me, and that was in 1971. So, it's been a, a couple of years since it happened. So, yeah. I, some of the uh, audience and some of the fans of the show have submitted some questions, and one of the questions you sort of alluded to it in the beginning about other physical evidence at the camp. Um, you said you you guys had found footprints 
Um, was there any other type of physical evidence left behind with these things? I think one of the fans of the show even asked if, if they had ever taken deer or anything like that after the hunters had had a kill um, at the camp. They've never taken the deer. We've got tracks underneath the deer. It's in my first book, A Voice in the Wilderness, but where I took a picture of it, there's uh, tracks. And they will move our deer. They've moved it on the cable we had behind our shelter. In fact, that was done while we were sitting at the stove on the inside of the uh, eating. Went back and we had raked out a spot because we knew they were messing with our game and raked out a spot underneath the, the uh, carcass. Went back, he did all that. And Larry Johnson and I, we thought we'd walk up there and check it out. We walked up there and there were those three tracks were there. That means they were standing there looking over the shelter at us while we're eating. That's kind of exciting. Anyway, as far as other evidence, uh, we found hair that could tell us what it wasn't, uh, what it was, it was, but could not tell us what it was. That, that in those days, didn't have the DNA uh, technology we have nowadays. So really, the only evidence we had was, was we did find some hair, but again, it's got lost by the wayside after all these 50 years. And uh, the tracks, mainly, we cast tracks, uh, we... We uh, had the tracks. Of course, the biggest deal is the uh, recorded vocalizations because they've been established scientifically now, and that's that's a big hurdle to get that stuff done. A lot of people say, well, I've heard sounds just like that. Well, record them. You know? <laughs> we, we got lucky. We got lucky. And uh, I say lucky. Maybe it was intended for us to, to do this so we could talk today. I don't know. But there's more to these things. Some people say, oh, they're just flesh and blood. Animal run out the woods. Well, yeah, they are flesh and blood. They, they, uh, they procreate, they leave footprints, they vocalize, they poop, they eat, they do everything a human does. But what I ask people, you yeah, they're flesh and blood, everything that you see is flesh and blood pretty much as animals. But is there more to them than just flesh and blood? So I get into now, could it be a human, human component to them? Because uh, we, uh, or us humans, talk, we can do all these things, these things can do, on different levels, they seem to have attributes that we don't have, or at least we haven't learned how to use them, but is there more to humans than just flesh and blood, is there more to us than just flesh and blood, uh, I think absolutely there is, because uh, you've got Darwinism that cannot explain our cognizance, it can explain our telekinesis, it can, it can explain the, our emotions, our feelings, uh, ever had a deja vu, how does that stuff work? How does all this work in, in humans? If these things are part human, they, they would probably have these things too. These, uh, a lot of people say that the mind speak to them. Well, I don't know that I've ever had it happen to me because uh, I'm too analytical. I try to figure things out. And uh, I uh, see, well, I have, to, I, have, I have to look at things pretty deep before I'm going to say it's a big problem. I've read anyway, your book, The uh, Quantum Bigfoot, so I, I know some of those things that you go into in your book. Um, I, I'm fascinated by the mind speak thing. I'm fascinated by the lights that people often see in conjunction with encounters with Sasquatch before, during, and after. Um, you know, Les Stroud, uh, Survivor Man. Um, I, I'm actually working to get Les on the show in the fall after he finishes his current project he's working on to talk about some of this stuff, but. Les has done interviews, and I've heard him talk about mind speak and during an encounter with Sasquatch. Um, 
and I believe what he says. I believe that he's he, he had that experience, and I can't explain it, and I don't think anybody really can, but it fascinates me because I go back and forth in, in that struggle of it's a flesh and blood creature or it, there's something more to it. Um, and I'm fascinated by some of your theories on that. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think anybody really knows. So we're left with what we have, right? The, the evidence, the, these, uh, sounds that you and you have, and, and you've put out there for everybody to hear and study. And they've been scientifically proven that they are real. In fact, evidence of the existence of Bigfoot. Let me ask you this, Ron, what do you make of the DNA evidence? What do you make of this? You know, a lot of people theorize there's a government cover-up, that the government knows what Sasquatch is, and there's there's this big cover-up. Um, what, what do you think about the DNA evidence and this, this alleged possible cover-up by the government? Well, you know, Mella Ketchum, she's a geneticist in Texas, and she did a study years ago, and and found the mitochondrial DNA, which is the maternal side, was human. And uh, the nuclear DNA is what she couldn't match to anything. And that's what puzzled other scientists. That's what puzzled classical science right there is, is if you can't match it somewhere. I mean, there's 227 billion samples in the gene bank, and they couldn't be matched. So that put her study in, in the gray area with other scientists because it has to match. It has to be something... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, they give her thumbs down. She's going to be vindicated, I think. I say this in my book because of the DNA now, results are coming in from different things and factions. And you got the Peruvian uh, Peruvian skulls, the elongated skulls, which the DNA has been taken out from those and found out they came from, from Asia, uh, by the Black Sea, actually, and Turkey area. And uh, how'd they get across the water? Well, when you go down in Bolivia and Peru and see all the Enigmas down there. Uh, humans can't do what I saw down there. I mean, these 100 plus foot ton boulders up on this 13,000 foot mountain put together like a jigsaw puzzle. It's just phenomenal. We, I mean, no mortar, no mortar to use. It just it's like a puzzle. And uh, you can't put a pair between them. It's just amazing that uh, aliens have been here. Aliens are here now. If you want to get into the blue pill or the red pill. We're going to take one and go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, I think the DNA, um, uh, the only way you're really going to get good DNA is to get a plug out of one or something like that, and that's really hard to do. But there's been DNA done in, in the Himalayas on the uh, National Geographic uh, sponsored trip up there took a geneticist up. They went up to 17,000 feet in above Bhutan in the Himalayas, and, and they found uh, some tracks up there. They got some eDNA, which is environmental, environmental DNA, and came back, and she couldn't, she, couldn't, <laughs> she couldn't place the nuclear DNA anywhere, but she talked about the mitochondrial was 99% human, and that's the Yeti ice, as you might know, in the Himalayas. And there's going to be more and more stuff like that coming out, so... I think what, what we're leading here to is my theory that, that there's an alien component to these things also. Aliens have manipulated the DNA of, of different species on this planet. They're doing it now. They've done it for eons, and uh, it's just, I think, the way it goes. It makes a lot of sense to me how different species, that, that you've got the Egyptians, uh, 
depicting these things with a dog head on them and a human body, and uh, it's just all kinds of things have been have been drawn on cave art and stuff like that, pictographs, and just if you open your mind up and realize that there's just more going on than, than what we see, it, it'll get you into quantum physics a little bit. Where that's where I go with all this now. You know, we there's, a, there's definitely a learning curve uh, for people to get out of Newtonian physics totally and start coupling it with quantum physics. Like uh, Dr. Uh, Edgar Mitchell said, he said it takes quantum science and classical sciences together for clear perception. So all I, I ask people when I talk at these conventions and things is don't restrict yourself with just Newtonian physics. You're really researching. Research. Research. Research into quantum physics because it is how everything in the universe actually works. That will answer a lot of the enigmas that have seen to be reported from people about these experience we call it, but uh, what they're here for, what they're doing is another story altogether, but uh, if you think about it, uh, the infrasound of the things that were happening to us up there, and I write about these in my book, Voices in the Wilderness, uh, were just outside of classical science. Classical science is predictable and measurable. It's, uh, it's material and it's physical, physical, and quantum physics is uncertainty. Yet it's a science that exists, and if you get into how how the brain works, how our cognizant works, how everything really works, how particles can be associated from uh, distances uh, no limit, uh, you, you realize there's just more going on, and that's how I think telepathy works, that's how I think the mind speed works. It, it works through the quantum uh, quantum realm, because classical science cannot tell you how that stuff works. It won't, because everything is measurable, predictable. Quantum physics is not. Actually, uh, Planck, uh, Dr. Planck and uh, Max Planck, he, he got a Nobel Prize for quantum measure, quantum mechanics in 2018, and he's actually the father of quantum mechanics. You got Einstein, Bohr, Tesla, these different guys that picked up on it, and they realized, yeah, there's something going on. So, and you get into quantum science and quantum physics. I, I was raised religiously, but I'm not religious now. I'm definitely spiritual, as we all are. Because, as uh, Stephen Hawkins says, energy cannot die; it can only change forms. So, that's if you if you want to talk religion, that's when you go to heaven when you change forms. <laughs> if you want to talk quantum physics, uh, you just change forms, but you, your energy doesn't die; it just goes somewhere else. And uh, like Tesla said, what one man calls God, another man calls physics. Quantum physics. So I like that statement a lot. Uh, it's good enough for Tesla, it's good enough for me. <laughs> and and you get into how things really work, and there's a lot of videos on that stuff now. The people can see I've been saying this for years, but now it's really all over the place. You've got aliens all over, all kinds of stuff you can watch on TV. You can take it in one ear and put it out the other if you want. It doesn't have to stay in your head, but I suggest if you're researching, just uh, log it up and uh, Try to understand that all these people that are saying these strange things are not lying. For a long, long time I interviewed people, and when they told me one disappeared right in front of their eyes, I, I just threw them out with the bathwater, you know. But uh, anymore, you get so many people telling you that, and some people, credible people, I mean, from, from law enforcement, people that won't talk to anybody else because they laugh at. Just people that you personally know 
They're not lying to you. They're just, are they delusional? Some people say, yes, I was on a program a few, a few days ago, and guys said, well, they're probably just delusional. Well, no, no, that's not necessarily true. Maybe they really are experiencing something. So, uh, But when you see that pixelated form, uh, I, I was in a program here, David Pilates, who wrote his 411 uh, books and videos. He did a filming of me up in the Sierra Camp. First time I've ever let uh, professional filming go on up there. But uh, <clears throat> in 2016, I was up there, and we saw this, not David, this was two years later, but I saw this elongated light go by our tent. And uh, say tent, because we set up a tent. We weren't sleeping in a shelter at that. And we studied, studied. I say I watched it. And it just went right by us, and we watched it slowly, moving between the trees. It was definitely intelligence behind it. And he, in 2018, asked me kind of point to where it went. All that stuff I did, and they did recreation for that. And it's called the Missing 411, The Hunted. And I got about a 15-minute section in there, and he does a really good recreation of that light going through the forest right at our campsite. So if you want to see that, that's a good place to see it. Uh, I got off track probably somewhere, Brian. <laughs> it's totally fine. I, but, I, I just well, watched. I, I just watched the missing four one one. I think it was put together phenomenally, and, and and I agree with the recreation. I thought it was a great recreation. It looked uh, pretty cool on camera. Um, you know, it, back to the lights and the alien connection again, if we could. I, I interview so many people, um, particularly people who have constant encounters with Sasquatch on or very near their property and almost without fail when they have constant contact with Sasquatch I will say to them hey have you seen anything else that's kind of weird or have you seen any light and there's always that pause and then that yeah um, I've seen the lights (laughs) (laughs) right right and it's it's you know and it's fascinating some of the conversations that I have like off mic with people once the once the recorder's turned off I usually get the rest of the story and that the rest of the story always seems to be way more interesting at least in my mind um, I, I talked to somebody who had an encounter out in California recently and he was telling me about he and this this girl that he was on a date with they were sitting there eating some cheese and crackers and just enjoying nature, and boom, they heard this sound. He, he described it, what sounded like an elephant running through the, the brush, and out pops a Sasquatch, and he said it looked like it was being chased by a mountain lion. And I, I just made a mental note. I write notes as I'm, I'm doing my interviews, and I came back to that after Richard had told his story, and I said, you know, one of the things that I'm fascinated by in your story, Richard, is you're saying that the Sasquatch was running from something. I've never heard anybody say that a Sasquatch was running from anything. And um, he's like, yeah, it, it sort of looked like a mountain lion. And once the his, his whole interview took about 14 minutes. It was a very quick encounter. Um, he was very detailed. It was a, it was a great interview. And, and when I turned the recorder off, he said, I, I just asked him the question again about the mountain lion. I said, I'm fascinated by that, the mountain lion. And he was like, yeah, um, I kind of left out some details about the mountain lion. The mountain lion was actually about four times the size of a normal mountain lion. 
And he's, he goes into this description, and it was, it was fascinating. It, it, and he left it out purposely because he didn't want to take away from the fact that he had seen a Sasquatch. That, that's my point to this long story is people often leave out those, those details because if you say you see an alien ship or you see a UFO or you see lights or you see something that's what some people in the quote-unquote Bigfoot community call woo-woo, they, they immediately discredit what you're saying, you know. And some people won't even take the, I, I think the BFRO does that. They don't even take some of these, these sightings that people have if there's something woo about the sighting. And I just think that's a real disservice, A, to the people that are having these encounters, and B, to the rest of the world who need to hear about them. Um, you know, I think Matt's going to have to change that one of these days. I've talked to some curators. I used to be belong to the BFRO, uh, and there's just too many. There's over 500 reports that's got the woo in it. And yeah, it's woo, but it's it's science too. If you really want to define what woo is, uh, paranormal, uh, all that stuff, it gets into quantum physics. And I think probably there's going to be a little change in that whole format they have. Uh, they need to change it because you're right; it's just discrediting to, to a lot of people. But a lot of people won't report that. I wonder how many people have really seen some of this stuff. But this this dude he talks about with a mountain lion, uh, that almost sounded like a skinwalker ranch, which has these huge, uh, huge, uh, different, uh, it was a dog, a wolf, over it, but it was huge, much bigger, and bullets wouldn't, wouldn't stop it. Uh, you gotta wonder just what is happening with all that stuff. But, uh, I've heard the dogman is here, uh, but then when you get into DNA manipulation of different species, you realize that just about anything is possible. You know, advanced technology like getting to a lab. And uh, if they've created the dog man, whatever, I've heard reports of the dog man is usually like the Bigfoot. And that's something I've heard, I don't know any of this. I just know what's happened to me at camp, and I try to help people. But I just, you know, we all was experiencing the quote unquote woo up there, you know, that. Time when we thought our shelter, the supplies we brought in out there, strapped to the barrels, uh, packed in the barrels, strapped to the trees, was being torn up and ripped apart and thrown all over the place. And when we stepped out of the shelter after it all kind of died down, nothing had changed. Well, how do you explain anything like that? Uh, you just don't talk about it. So uh, lately I've talked about it because I think I've tapped into the science if I explain something, it's quantum science. Possible scientists can't explain it. You know, that is hypnotizing all of us to make, make us think we heard that. Uh, we don't know. But there's other things happened up there, too, that's just uh, unexplainable. And, uh, so, anyway, it's, it's quite an experience I've had with these, around these things. So. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me. And like you said, I think it's, it, you really do the entire subject... I think you just really do it a disservice when you don't want to look into some of these more out there type of encounters that, that people are record that are reporting. Um, and if, if you've already got your mind made up that Sasquatch is nothing more than a giant ape, then case is closed at that point. 
There's nothing else you can yeah. learn. There's nothing else you need to know. There's no more reason to go out and knock on trees and scream in the woods. <laughs> it's a it's a done deal. You're not a researcher. You're not a researcher anymore. If, that's, if you may have mind what they are, uh, you're irrelevant as a researcher, I think, because you're never going to get to the bottom of it unless you open up your mind and get out of the box and stop drawing yourself, putting yourself in the perimeters of the box. Um, you know, there was a time up there when we, Warren Johnson and I, we heard one of these things smell outside the shelter. We were doing this thing, and we thought, well, let's, we're just getting kind of bold, and we thought, well, let's jump out of this through the doorway here, which was just a log ring between two trees, and, and uh, we'll see it run away. by Maybe 400 feet elevation, ability to read a newspaper. And, uh, so we jumped out right quick, but nothing ran away where the sound was coming from. We both started walking up there. We were probably know, 12, 15 feet apart. And we got stopped like a force field. And I that's how it It's just a lock that you can't move any further forward. And you, you don't want to go backwards. So he looked at me. We were talking to each other. We weren't afraid at that time. We knew they would think they were going to eat us. So he, he said, I don't know about you, but I can't go any further. So I can't either. So we went back, we're back to shelter. As soon as we got back to the nearest thing, was right back making the sounds. So we don't know. I brought this up to a scientist uh, uh, time after that, and he said, well, science can't take your fears and work with them like that. Uh, facts. I said, well, we weren't afraid. There was really something stopping us, but we couldn't see it. He said, well, it had to be infrasound, or perhaps it was pheromones. Oh. Well, pheromones only work within the same species, I thought, so I pretty much put it in neighborhood of infrasound, and infrasound's been used for ages to, you know, by big animals, that's how they communicate over long distances. Elephants use it, big tigers use it, giraffes use it. Uh, Hitler used it to control crowds because it can definitely affect human emotions. But then, now that I think these things could be uh, part human, then maybe it was pheromones. I don't know. I just know that got, we got stopped. It happened to me one other time up there in the woods by myself. Walking along, wasn't even thinking about Bigfoot at all, and bam, I got hit. Hair stood up the back of my head. I started looking around, didn't see a thing. Uh, but, you know, we all don't hear infrasound. We don't hear ultrasound, which is what dogs hear, way up high pitch. Uh, we only hear within certain frequencies. Get into quantum physics, everything is a frequency, energy, or vibration. And uh, so we only hear within certain parameters of sound. And it goes right on into our smell, our olfactory sense. We don't smell everything here. A bear, a bear's uh, olfactory sense, which is where they smell, is 2,100 times better than a human. That's, I've seen a lot of bear up there, and you better be downwind from <laughs> or they'll smell you. And even when you're downwind, this wind circling around something, they'll pick it up. They can't see very well. They, they can stand right not too far from them, they won't see you. I've had a, a sow and two cubs walk up probably than well, one of the cubs got within about 20 feet of me. All of a sudden, he got a whiff of me. I was down away from him. And he just jumped up and ran back to his mom, and they all three ran off the opposite direction. But they never saw me. They just smelled me. And uh, we don't, we just don't smell at all frequencies. Because if you didn't smell our frequencies, lights to me, though, we don't see in all frequencies. So when these people tell me they saw one disappear, is just a lot of our perceptions? I mean, how does something just disappear? Is there a science behind that? Yes, there is a science behind that, and it's called quantum physics. We only see it within certain frequencies. 
and uh, these things can go out of our frequency and into something else. And I think, personally, I think they can do that through a vocal. They're very vast vocal mechanism. It is very fast. Uh, it's been suggested maybe they have more than two vocal cords. They can reach frequencies and change their, their matter and energy that would account for that. Because I've had people tell me the trackways disappeared. I know it's really, I, I know people that well, the trackway just stops and had the phony. <clears throat> well, that's what you would think because it had to leave a track somewhere else. It couldn't just not leave a track. Well, yes, it could just not leave a track. If their matter, which we're all composed of, changed into energy only, which you don't have any density, you won't be retracted anymore. So that's a little possibility. But there's got to be something that accounts for that. Long time I thought maybe maybe it is a hoax, but it happened to me. My daughter had a sighting. We found the trackway. These tracks were one and a half, two inches deep. We couldn't even make an impression in it. And all of a sudden they just stopped. And I mean stopped. And I looked up in the trees where people saying I jumped to. I looked I looked all over and uh, it just it didn't go anywhere else. So what happens there? Well, there has to be an answer to any I agree with you. I think there's definitely more to the story. There's so many, so many accounts that you see like that. There's a couple of prints, and then they just disappear. The trackway just completely disappears, and it just doesn't. It doesn't make sense to to the person that's looking at it. Like, well, this has to be a hoax, or this is fake, right. whatever. But I agree with you. I think there's a lot more to it. I certainly don't understand it, but I, I, I'm open to the possibility that there's more to these things than just being a big giant ape running around in the woods. Um, because that, that leads to then, yeah, we've we, there's a ton of evidence. I was a police officer for 16 years, and I convicted or I, I testified and, and got a lot of convictions in court based on a whole lot less evidence. And I can tell you now, if, if Sasquatch was on trial by a jury of 12, Sasquatch would be in jail. There's plenty of evidence. There's plenty of evidence to that says these things exist. But I mean, what what do you think it's going to take, Ron? Is it is it going to take a body? It's for- going to, I think it's going to take our government to just say out yeah, they're out there because I think our government knows about it. It's a cover up because I think there is an alien involvement and they can't even really. They, they can only say they can only say so much without getting without going against what they. Hang on a second, I got it. That is going down here. Uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a cover-up, and uh, it's going to throw a kink into religions. It's going to throw a kink into Darwinism. It's going to throw a, a real kink into all our history books. But you know what? Uh, let me just quote one thing here from Tesla. I love this thing. He's my hero, by the way. The day science begins to study non-physical phenomena, it will make more progress in one decade in all the previous centuries of its existence. Well, I think we're in that period right now. We're, we're, we're discovering not this phenomenon. Uh, you know, Galileo, Galileo, proclaimed, Galileo proclaimed the Earth circled around the sun and was put on house arrest for the remainder of his life for heresy. Well, <laughs> I, the Earth does go around the sun. <laughs> So that's, you know, it's, it's who's in charge of history and who's in charge of our government is who's going to tell you what to believe and what not to believe and what to do. I think 
Well, I tell you, I, I, I used to be in the camp of, well, the government may be covering this up, and it's it's all about monetary issues, right? It's about the forestry in in the United States and all the business that the forestry industry touches in our country. And if, if there's a big eight-foot, nine-foot ape running around in the forest, then less people are going to go. Then they've got to protect the prop, the land that they're on and all these things. But I over the years, I've definitely evolved and i've decided that it's less about money and i think it's more about what you're talking about i think there's a whole lot more to these things than than we know and i think that that's the big reason that our government is choosing to cover it up and i i don't know what it's going to take for that to be resolved um other than a body you know because i do believe people have shot these things throughout history i think they've been killed i think there's plenty of documentation out there um, that it's happened, we just haven't gotten the body to say, "Okay, science, here you go, it's real." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's all coming. I think we're in a reset right now. We're going to have a reset. Um, the way the world economy has fell apart from this COVID thing that happened, and uh, I think the whole world is ready for a reset. And I say, "Reset" is like rebooting your computer, starting over. When you have to trade a chicken for a or something, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think our monetary system is going to have to change. Uh, a lot fixing to happen to us in the next few years, and if not sooner, uh, we've got some major events taking place on this earth now. And I think just because the government's finally acknowledged that UFOs are out there, and that they're they've been coming in for years. Well, I knew that from my trips around where I've been with alien presence. Have been I've seen the remains of them, and when our government now has acknowledged, you know, even Trump started the Space Force, you know, and I don't know if uh, Biden's going to keep that or what he's going to do, but uh, there's just a reason for all that. There's a lot of stuff that's known that we just aren't privy to in this little world that we live in out here. But it's going to come to forth, and I, you want to know what it's going to take. It's going to take probably an exposure, I think, probably, you know, well, our I don't like to do this, but I'm going to quote a scripture in one of the biblical texts that says, as it was in the days of Noah, so should also be in the second coming. Well, we're in the second coming. You got the days of Noah, what was happening? That's when aliens, they call them fallen angels in the Bible, aliens were inbreeding human genome into the human genome and creating the Nephilim giants. And, and anyway, that was happening. That's caused the flood, which is very too worldwide there was a flood and uh, anyway as it was in the days of Noah well it's going to be like that again they were offering advanced technology that's where the human race got a big start with how to do different things it was from aliens coming down and telling us and showing us well they're going to do that again if somebody you're going to see them they're going to be exposed and this, this is Ron's prediction by the way <laughs> but it's, uh, it's definitely a uh, I think coming, and uh, we will not be surprised so much from it because we're being indoctrinated by the theaters, by the shows, by everything we see about alien presence. And uh, all the way back from Star Trek on, I think we've uh, got a lot to, lot to see the next few years. Interesting. I hope I'm alive to see it. Absolutely. I couldn't Maybe. agree with you more. I, I, I definitely think it's coming. <laughs> I've, I've felt it for years, and... and you know, I, I definitely think we're on the cusp of it. 
Well, Ron, I can't thank you enough for your time and coming on and sharing with us. Um, it's been an honor and a pleasure to speak to you, man. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. Uh, it was shorter than I thought, but an hour goes by pretty fast. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we'll uh, have to have website. you back. I was going to say. Well, uh, I got a couple of books. You mentioned the books so people might want to read some of my chronicle and the stuff you're talking about. But you can get it off my website, ronmoorhead.com. And, uh, you know, I got two CDs out, too, which can be downloaded. All this stuff can be downloaded. Are there, so any anyway, conference, are, there, are there any conferences or anything coming up? Is there any appearances? I know with the COVID thing. Uh, yeah, actually, I, uh, they're starting to book them again. I got, uh, besides the ones like this virtual conference I've been doing now, I got one in uh, Saginaw, Michigan on the, uh, the 15th of May and uh, 22nd of May, same month. I got one in Tennessee, at Townsend, Tennessee, by the, by the state park there. And in July, I've got another one in Tennessee at the Gatlinburg. Uh, these are big conferences, I understand. So uh, people might want to check them out there in that area. And uh, I'm supposed to be with George Norrie again uh, on the live program uh, here in September, Washington. So uh, I had a lot of things happening. I'm going to Alaska, I think, in April. Or excuse me. Yeah, April. April. Uh, there's a deal going on up there that's not a conference, so it's just kind of a, uh, it's a different deal. I kind of can talk about it too much because they're filming it, but it's uh, to be very, very exciting and interesting stuff. Because there's a lot of reports in Alaska, by the way. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm I'm not too far from Gatlinburg. I love Dollywood up in Gatlinburg, so I may, oh, I'm, really? not in, I'm in North Carolina, so I may have to come up and see oh. you in Gatlinburg. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, love to meet you. Absolutely. Well, again, thanks for joining us, and uh, I really appreciate it very much, and I hope to see you soon. I hope to see you too, Brian. Thank you very much for inviting me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Take care. And that's going to do it for tonight's show, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, if you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, please send me an email. You can get me at brian at sasquatchodyssey.net. Have a great night, and we'll see you guys next week.